Welcome to the Big Unlock Podcast, where we discuss digital transformation and emerging technologies in healthcare. Here, some of the most innovative thinkers and leaders in healthcare and technology talk about how they are driving change in their organizations. Hello again, everyone. Welcome back to my podcast. This is Patty, and it is my great privilege and honor to introduce my special guest today, Jeff Short, Vice President and Chief of Staff of Montefiore Health System in New York. Jeff, thank you so much for setting aside the time, and welcome to the show. Thank you, Patty. I really appreciate the opportunity to be here. Uh, I just want to say congratulate you on you recently completed your 50th podcast. So congratulations. That's really a a great milestone. Thank you very much. And I'm also looking forward to reading your new book, Healthcare Digital Transformation. So thank it's, you. Uh, it's right where we are, so I can't wait. Thank you. Thank you. I greatly appreciate that. So, Jeff, let's start with this. Tell us a bit about Montefiore and the patient populations you serve. Great. Yes. As you mentioned, uh, we're in New York. Montefiore Health System and Einstein College of Medicine form one of the nation's leading academic medical centers. We have 11 hospitals approximately 3,000 beds and over 300 ambulatory locations. We serve mainly the populations in the Bronx and Westchester counties. We're major employers in in both those uh, geographies. We serve a diverse population of both ethnically and socially. And it's been an incredible experience working with Montefiore and seeing all the good that we do in the communities that we serve. Right. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, you also serve... Uh, possibly uh, one of the most uh, ethnically and linguistically diverse populations in the country, if not the most diverse population. Is that correct? Yeah, depending on how you measure it, but definitely one of the most diverse populations in the country. Well, New York has been uh, one of the hardest hit by the pandemic, and Montefiore was featured in this uh, fascinating TV program on uh, CBS. And for those who haven't seen it, I strongly, strongly recommend it. It's called Bravery and Hope which took uh, viewers like me to the front lines of the COVID-19 crisis and was really eye-opening to see what really happens at the front lines of a crisis like this. One thing about this whole crisis, from what I know, Jeff, is that Montefiore stood up a telehealth operation practically overnight. Can you tell us a little bit about that experience and how that felt? Sure, absolutely. So, yeah, CBS did an incredible job of capturing what it was like during the surge of the pandemic. But in the days prior, we spent a lot of time preparing. One of the things our network performance group did was regularly updated predictive models based on what was going on in Italy and around the world and in New York, in our early New York data. And when we looked at the numbers, you realized it was not going to be a linear increase. It was going to be an exponential increase. And I remember one day looking at those projections and realizing, I really got sick to my stomach because of realizing that we could be out of capacity in a few days and out of our surge capacity by on a few days after that. So it really hit home how we needed to change. We knew we were going to have a wave of patients coming. We didn't know how steep, but it, lo- it looked pretty daunting. Um, our facilities team did a great job extending capacity. We, we put new rooms in our ORs and our cafeterias and auditoriums. We redeployed a lot of our clinical staff, but the real question was how are we going to leverage our intensivists to treat all those patients that we knew were going to, were going to need that level of care? One of the people featured in that video, Dr. Michelle Gong, is our chief yeah. of critical care. She worked with our team and with IT and bioengineering 
to, in a, in a span of a few days, stand up a 24-7 ICU command center. Um, IT put in new servers to feed healthcare uh, information and healthcare records to a central location. Bioengineering linked uh, real-time vital signs, ultrasound results, electrocardiograms to all the physicians that were in our, in our ICU command center. What we did was we gave iPads out to each unit. This way they could have bi-directional communications with the command center. So when we were done, essentially what happened was a clinician anywhere in the facility could connect with one of our critical care or pulmonology specialists in the command center for assistance with a patient. So in a span of uh, mere days, we went from nothing to a fully functional ICU command center that, and that really helped us deal with the surgeon capacity. Wow, that's an incredible story. What about the patients? Uh, what about those who wanted to either come in because they felt they had symptoms or others that were in your care, you know, like the chronic population and so on, because you obviously locked down the entire facility for a period of time, like everyone else did, in order to deal with the COVID-19 cases. Did you already have or were you able to turn on a telehealth slash virtual consult kind of capability to help your patients? Yes, absolutely. So, Obviously, in the early days, no one wanted to go see the doctor for elective care. Nationally, over 70% of in-person visits were canceled, and we saw the same experience here. I mean, patients were afraid. Lucky for us, the, uh, CMS approved like 80 new services within a few weeks. The pandemic hit in the U.S., which was really fantastic. But what, what we need to do is create a new solution. So in about a week, so March 11th was our first patient, we started to get things in place to create um, a tele, uh, the ability to deliver uh, contactless care to our patients. We on March by March 26th, our team built the infrastructure to enable us an epic to schedule, document, and bill for a telemedicine visit. We identified uh, partners to help us build a platform and uh, an app. By April 1st, we had launched what we call Monty First, which is an app platform that's in in Android in the Apple Store. And by June, it was a top 100 medical download on the Apple Store. So it was, it really took off. So all in all, by the end of April, we had 80% of our visits were in telemedicine. Right now it's like shift, it's shifting back a bit, but in the last 12 weeks, we've had 250,000 telemedicine visits. And just to give you how thing, how quickly things changed, we went from 250,000 in the last 12 weeks. In February, we had zero. So it, we went from zero to doing most of our visits in telemedicine quite quickly. And, you know, we're really not alone. Uh, as you know, across the industry, they've seen anywhere from a 50 times to 150 times increase in telemedicine. I want to go back to one comment you made very briefly, which is that you're seeing telehealth visits kind of fall back a little bit. Now, we know that the acceleration of telehealth and specifically virtual consults and everything took off in the immediate wake of the pandemic. But I'm hearing from across the board that those volumes are now kind of going down a little bit, either because you know patients are coming back into the hospital or because there isn't that much need. What is driving that? I'm hearing this across the board, Jeff. Why do you think telehealth visits are going down? Is, was it because pent-up demand for in-person visits is now coming back? Or is it people are not happy with telehealth as an alternative? What do you think is reason? Yeah, I think what's happening, it is in part of patients that needed to be seen face-to-face uh, we're putting off care. So they're definitely rushing back in. I think there's also a, for certain clinicians and certain patients, there's a comfort level with face-to-face that I don't think they'll be, it'll, they're kind of the, the last, the holdouts that won't want to change. 
But I do really think that this is, I think things have changed permanently. I think the change is here to stay. Before the pandemic, there was a survey done by McKinsey, and essentially 11% of patients were interested in telemedicine. Post-pandemic, 76%, so the same survey updated, were interested in using it going forward. So I do think that we will always have face-to-face care, and certain specialties, uh, I think, will remain that way. But I think as we get better and more comfortable with uh, working digitally or working remotely with patients, I think those numbers will will continue to increase. Also, as adopters become more comfortable, as technology providers create more in-home devices that are linked through your smartphone and, and operate effectively, I think, again, we'll be able to do a lot more remotely. But I, I do believe it's here to stay. Well, let's talk about digital. You mentioned digital. So digital health is all the rage now. We talk about uh, telehealth, digital front doors, and just virtual care in general, which is enabled by technology. How are you defining digital at Montefiore? And uh, what has been your digital transformation journey so far? Can you share some of that with uh, our listeners? Yeah, sure. So, yeah, digital health can, can encompass a lot of things. I mean, for me, in this context, it's basically using technology to enhance the quality of access to or the delivery of care. But to be more specific, the areas, the general areas that we're, we're looking at are digital front door, uh, using technology to improve patient engagement, to enable uh, contactless uh, interaction, to mm-hmm. again, increase access. The use of telemedicine, which I, we just spoke about, mm-hmm. it, it has profound opportunities to reduce the cycle times of care. Remote monitoring, with what we've been through, we've realized there's so much we can do that you don't need to come back in just for a to monitor a condition if we can check in with you remotely using technology. Right. Obviously, tele, teleconsult, the ICU example, creates incredible ability to keep patients in a regional hospital, a local hospital, and deliver the, the top level of care remotely. Artificial intelligence, we've, Parsa Marhaji, Dr. Parsa Marhaji and our team has made incredible uh, strides in using artificial intelligence to predict things like respiratory failure and so we see is that opportunity to use AI in many more ways and build those into systems. One of the things we didn't talk about, we stood up a chatbot to answer COVID-19 questions and during that same period in a few days. But we see a lot of new startups using that technology in front of visits in order to help the patient and the clinician get to the root problem of why they're calling that day and also improve their interaction. So we see huge opportunities to leverage uh, AI. And then the same deal with uh, inpatient. So hospitals around the country are looking at doing central stations where they use AI and other technology to better run their hospitals. And we see this as a huge opportunity. So yeah. we've, made a, we've made a ton of progress in, the short, in a short amount of time, especially around telemedicine, digital front door, and then also some of the remote monitoring on the inpatient side. We really have um, a long way to go, but um, it's very exciting. Yeah, yeah. You know, you covered most of the high-value, high-impact uh, initiatives and the focus areas. You talked about remote monitoring, digital front door, which, of course, is growing as uh, digital engagement touch points become more and more amenable to, uh, you know, digital engagement, online tools, and so on and so forth. And, of course, telemedicine and virtual care. I want to understand a little bit from your perspective, how do the patients perceive it? Because one of the things that I hear from all the health systems and all chief digital officers and everyone that I talk to is that 
it's extremely challenging to create the kind of seamless experience that we are used to in, let's say, e-commerce like Amazon. People talk about Amazon all the time, or you know, your personal banking sites, things like that. And it's very difficult to create that kind of an experience in healthcare. It seems to be that there's a lot of standalone Western class type tools. Then there's a dominant EHR system in the background that does a lot of things. Stitching it all together and creating those experience journeys, which feel seamless and can delight patients just from an experience standpoint. That seems extremely challenging. Is that consistent with your understanding of the challenges? What are you seeing in terms of how patients are reacting and responding to your uh, digital front door initiatives, for instance? You know, I think we had, or, you know, telemedicine has struggled for years for, to really get adoption. And through COVID-19, I think it's changed the landscape through which now clinicians and patients were were encouraged or forced or compelled to, to give it a try. Obviously, we would have, the ultimate goal is to have that seamless experience, but it's something we've been working on for in healthcare and made a lot of improvements over the last few years. I think it is somewhat like when I remember uh, when I traveled a lot and the first time I encountered an airline kiosk when I arrived at the airport, I was really unhappy with the change and not being able to deal with a person. But probably the second time I probably after which I never really wanted to interact with uh, an agent again, unless I had a, a, a major complex problem that that I needed to deal with. Right. And I think as long as we continue, like right now, as long as we continue to seek out clinician and patient feedback and very closely monitor where the pain points are and where our opportunities are to improve and build those in very quickly, adapting to the patient experience, but also meeting the patient where they are. So whether it's you want to do an asynchronous visit, asynchronous video visit, or you want to see a physician face-to-face, it's really seamless. And if you want to speak to someone on the phone, or go at two in the morning, do something on your on your uh, cell phone or your or your laptop. No matter what, we're meeting the patients where they are, and like you said, giving them a, a seamless experience. But I think it's just going to be like any other customer experience. It's really going to be listening very closely, and and getting good data on uh, how patients vote with their feet, and again, just iterating to make things more seamless and more effective. You know, you mentioned a couple of examples of uh, digital initiatives that you've launched. You mentioned the chatbot, for instance. Uh, Have you done any research into what your patient population's value or what your own caregivers value and need? When you look at the digital engagement opportunities, have you kind of tried to look at maybe what, what could be your top six or eight or 10? Maybe talk about one or two of those that you think have high impact uh, possibilities in the short term. Can you share? Sure, yeah, absolutely. So we've done a number of uh, surveys, interviews. We have active working groups that get together every week and walk through their experiences and their problems. We're adding on to our applications ways to get customer and clinician feedback in the moment to better understand um, experience. But when we look back to our uh, priorities, the telemedicine like I said, I think has drastically changed the way we deliver ambulatory care. So I think that's just a key opportunity. We're able to actually bring care into the patient's homes at scale uh, effectively and efficiently. So I think that's a, a very a key opportunity. Like I mentioned, the digital front door, the ability to gain access from wherever you are to a clinician in a smart way is top of the list. 
And then I believe a lot of the, on the inpatient side, a lot of the, the uh, telemonitoring, tele-ICU, it's just a better way to deliver care. And we experienced that during the pandemic and the surge. And you also mentioned contactless experience, which I think is a new yes. uh, beast that we, we have discovered uh, as a result of the pandemic. But what about your patient population? You know, you're, you're in New York, you're, part of your operations is in the Bronx area, which is kind of a low income area, and at least in some parts. Does your patient pop, you know, patient population have certain preferences? Do, you know, do you think you need to tailor your strategy, uh, keeping in mind whatever limitations there may be with your patient populations, or do you think that that's not a factor at this time? No, it is. Yeah, it's, it's it's a great point. It's an absolute factor. I mean, the access to and comfort level with cell phones or computers is definitely something we're looking at, and where there's some there may be disparities, and how we can actually address that. Also, the access to data, that seems to have uh, be an area where patients are concerned about data charges. And so we're figuring out, are there ways we can improve access? Because again, this could be a great, living in a city, this could be a great infrastructure type project to right. provide uh, access, to broadband access to patients for healthcare. It could be an, an absolutely incredible opportunity. Like there's little things that we've realized that people not wanting to download apps are there ways, like I mentioned, we can get them broadband access, even just comfort level using a, a mobile phone uh, for this purpose? And we're kind of combining all these things to really, like I said, create different options and then monitor which options are most successful and then doubling down in those areas. We're expecting it's going to be different by different groups, different age groups, different specialties. And we're just going to keep listening and looking for opportunities to improve. Yeah, the digital divide that you talked about, this is an interesting point because uh, you know, clearly not all sections of the population have the same access to bandwidth or the affordability aspect of it as well. And I was, uh, you know, I just wanted to mention in Chicago where I live, there's a public-private kind of a collaboration that is emerging where you know, there's going to be a program to make sure that the coverage uh, of the entire population in terms of their access to broadband is going to be uniform so that there's no digital divide. There's no uh, sort of disparity in there. Are you seeing anything like that emerging in New York? I know you've, I know during the, the pandemic itself, there's a lot of public-private collaboration. Can you talk a little bit about that, which I, I think it's an interesting trend that is emerging, but I'm curious to know what your experience has been dealing with or collaborating with local authorities. Yeah, absolutely. It was really one of the, an incredible thing to see. I mean, just from the start, the governor's office essentially stated that, that we were one healthcare system and really lined up everything essentially around the same goal, which was the surge that we were going to see, which, you know, it's hard to predict things, but they did a pretty good job of predicting how things were going to play out in the early months. But that spirit of collaboration really ran through a lot of things that we worked on. So there were, we worked with local vendors, we worked with other hospitals, was really incredible was the sharing of knowledge and ideas. And we were on the phone with colleagues, understanding where they were, um, sharing best practices, sharing how we're working together. Um, and so that spirit of collaboration, I think continues. It was always there somewhat in academic medicine, but it's kind of expanded more to people caring for their communities and can be defined in a, in a number of different ways. We've got a couple of discussions going on right now with, I don't wanna go into too much detail with, uh, with companies really trying to bridge that digital divide because there are there's so much evidence out there that does exist and it it is a, an equalizer that if if we can bridge that gap 
we can do a lot of good and create a lot of value, not just in healthcare, but also in education, in Number employment, et cetera. Yeah. So yeah. I'm hoping that out of that, that that's an area where we can really collaborate through public and public private partnerships in order to create a lot of value. Well, everything in healthcare is linked to reimbursements in some way. And uh, you did make a reference to the fact that the CMS has brought you know, telehealth visits on par with in-person visits. Uh, but there's still gaps. There's some gaps in the reimbursement model, but still is a step in the right direction. And the broader question is all of these investments that you talk about, the digital front doors, the tele-ICUs, and all of that has to be paid for in some way, shape, or form. So you have to you know, demonstrate some kind of an ROI. How do you, you know, how does the health system approach this typically, especially if you're, let's say, predominantly in a fee-for-service kind of a model? Yeah, it's one of those things we've always struggled with as an industry is uh, some of those unintended consequences of how incentives incentives are structured. Yeah. Where I guess where we start with is really what's right and best for the patient. And then we figure out what options that we have. The nice thing about our uh, our size and our scale is we have a, a couple ways economically to get at to create value for the business model. So sometimes because it's the right or efficient way to use resources, we may take a, um, a haircut on on revenue. But we look try and take a step back and look at the whole picture. What kind of value can we curate for our patients? Where are there gaps and maybe how the incentives are structured? And then what can we do to kind of either countermeasures to deal with those gaps, work on waivers, be trying to be creative in trying to deal with those gaps. But it's something we're constantly working on, constantly looking for new ideas and new innovations to address those gaps. I think ultimately around the reimbursement for digital health really needs to be about equity and payment. Like I think once you start once we get much better and efficient and effective at delivering digital care, I think we're going to find through leverage technology like, like chat technology and AI, we'll be able to treat more patients at a higher level of care with fewer resources. Right. Right. So I think uh, at some point, the, what, I think what, to be honest with ourselves, what we want is our payment models that recognize that and balance that. So yeah, and that's why that's when equity, I think, is really uh, what we want to get to and try and get away from the, the gaps that we have that cause some of the, the barriers to an innovation and to delivering care. That's well said. We are coming up to the close of our time here. And uh, I wanted to leave you with one last uh, question, if you could share your thoughts. Now, you know, there's a saying that you never waste a crisis. And we are going through a uh, an unprecedented crisis because of the pandemic. Are you seeing COVID-19 as an opportunity or as a long-term threat for your system? Yeah, that's, <laughs> so I think it's both. It's a tremendous threat. I mean, we had tremendous loss of life. We had employees, colleagues who who passed away from this this awful disease. Also, the our industry has taken a, a, a real hit the local economy and national economy has taken a, a tremendous hit, but we can't really, all those things are done. So then within that, uh, there's an incredible opportunity to do to do better, right? To accelerate change, to challenge the status quo. I mean, we look at all the things that we've been able to really make progress on uh, in the industry, uh, and we've made so many improvements and we've had so much innovation in the last few months. So we have to, as you said, take advantage of this crisis 
and really take advantage. We've paid the price, so we might as well take advantage of the opportunity to really accelerate the innovation in healthcare and really bring it forward. So um, my answer is it's both, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, that is really well said. Jeff, it's been such a pleasure speaking with you, and thank you so much for sharing your thoughts. Very, very insightful. And uh, look forward to uh, following all of your progress and all the best with your uh, digital transformation program. It's been great speaking with you, and I look forward to uh, catching up soon. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Subscribe to our podcast series at www.thebigunlock.com and write to us at info at thebigunlock.com.